Uh, it really is um, salvation and rescue and redemption and uh, a miraculous work that God does in the hearts and the lives of those who come to know Him. Those whose lives intersect with His. He changes the trajectory of their lives. And as we're studying the book of Mark, as we're reading through the narrative of God's rescue uh, through Jesus in the world, we see many lives being impacted and changed by the work of Jesus. Uh, and so take note of that. Take note of the lives that Jesus touches and changes by his power, by his love, and by his truth. We just finished up a couple weeks, four weeks, uh, in a short series called The Way of Jesus, and we looked at uh, the Apostle Paul's words and uh, the Apostle John's words uh, regarding Jesus and how he lived and how he calls his disciples to live as well. And I hope that has whet your appetite for the Gospel of Mark. Because in the Gospel of Mark, you and I get a, a glimpse of the beauty and the glory of Jesus' person, of his identity, of who he is, of his ministry, of what he does. And, and of his call to discipleship, what he calls each of us to step into as those who know him and are following him. Let me uh, just begin this morning with a quote. The title of this message is The Good News of Jesus. And this is a quote from a historian named Kenneth Latourette. He said, no life ever lived on this planet has ever been so influential in the affairs of men like the life of Jesus Christ. From that brief life and its apparent frustration has flowed a more powerful force for the triumphant waging of man's long battle than any other ever known by, by the human race. By it, millions have been lifted from illiteracy and ignorance and have been placed upon the road of growing intellectual freedom and control over the physical environment. It has done more to ally the physical ills of disease and famine than any other impulse known to man. It has emancipated millions from the chattel slavery and millions of others from addiction to vice. It has protected tens of millions in exploitations by their fellows. It has been the most fruitful source of movement to lessen the horrors of war and to put relations of men and nations on the basis of justice and peace. The life of Jesus is the most significant life that ever walked the earth. And if we're going to study any one person in history, I can't think of anybody else that would be better for us and more, more beneficial for us to give our time and attention to, to get to know who is this man that changed the world, that changed human history and is continuing to change lives for the better right this very moment all over the globe. Who is this man? Here at City Church, we aim to know Jesus. We want to know Him intimately and accurately. We want to know the one true Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Kings. We want to know Him and, and be known by Him. 
We want to love Him and be loved by Him. And we want to love people and we want to impact your world. We want to make a difference. Okay? And so this series is going to give us some space to get to know Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. To get to know who He is. To get to know what He's done. To get to know what He calls you and I to live for. And so let's just begin, first of all, talking about John Mark. This guy named John Mark. John Mark, John also called Mark. The Bible never actually uh, refers to someone named John Mark. But several passages in Acts refer to him as, as John, also called. Uh, he's the son of Mary and not the mother of Jesus. Uh, John Mark is first introduced as the, the son of an apparently wealthy woman named Mary, whose home Christians gathered in for prayer. John Mark was also Barnabas' cousin. Barnabas, uh, Paul refers to a man named John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas in Colossians 4.10. Many scholars who believe that this is a reference to John Mark. And he was a companion of Paul and Barnabas. Y'all remember in the book of Acts where there was this tension between the Apostle Paul and the tension between Barnabas. And it was uh, around this person uh, named John, also called Mark. Paul didn't want to take, the, take him on the next journey because he had left last time. For whatever reason, perhaps he was afraid, but he took off. So Barnabas says, no, I'm, I'm going to take him with me. And, and Paul takes Silas. He's also referred to in church history. John Mark is also referred to in church history as the interpreter of Peter. He was connected with Peter, and, and he interpreted for Peter according to church history. And so many theologians have highlighted and pointed out that the Gospel of Mark really is Peter's uh, telling of the Gospel narrative, and Mark writes these things down. Many think that John Mark was the guy in Mark chapter 14 who, when Jesus got arrested, he fled, he went, he went streaking he fled naked. He ran away, right? Uh, and now remember, Peter denied Jesus when things got hot. And if, if this guy, John Mark, was the guy who fled and ran away, and he was also the guy who Paul got frustrated with because he took off, he probably had good company encouragement being with Peter, somebody who also failed significantly and was restored by the grace of God. Right? Later on, Paul, by the way, Paul in his very last epistle to Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 4, he tells Timothy, he says, hey, send Mark to me because he's useful for the ministry. Alright? So, obviously there was some kind of restoration or uh, uh, change that took place there. And I love that about Christianity, by the way. God is in the business of Restoring people, redeeming people, rescuing people, changing people. And the Gospel of Mark will help us get a glimpse of the work of Jesus changing people. Amen? Amen. Let me just point out three themes here in the Gospel of Mark. And this is from John Stott's book called The Imperable Christ. On page 31 he says, here are three fundamental themes in Mark. Who is Jesus? Answer the Christ or Messiah. What did he come to do? The answer, to serve, to suffer, and to die. 
What does he ask of his disciples? Answer, to take up our cross and follow him through the death of self-denial into the glory of resurrection. Okay, so here's here's the themes. Here's where we're going in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to get a snapshot. We're going to get a picture of who is Jesus. And it's, and it's narrative, it's beautiful narrative that's written, and it's very concise. Mark is uh, the shortest of the four Gospels in the New Testament. It's the shortest account, okay? Um, and, and Mark is very much focused on action. He uses the word immediately about 41 or 42 times. Immediately, 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 and he's just recording Jesus immediately changing people's lives when they encounter him. And so we'll see Jesus in action in the Gospel of Mark. Here's a key verse in the Gospel of Mark. If you don't have this committed to memory, I want to encourage you to do this. Uh, commit this verse to memory. This is the application point for us. But as we're, we're thinking about the message of Mark, and we're thinking about the person of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, the identity of Jesus, Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay? So here, here is something that's a paradox. That was a paradox in the first century. And, and a paradox even in our world when it comes to leadership. Uh, it's you have this king who serves. You have this king who comes to serve people. Rather than saying, hey, wash my feet, guys. You have this king who comes down and he washes other people's feet. He serves other people. He expresses love and care and concern for other people because that's his nature. As we talked about in the Way of Jesus series, he's humble. The way of Jesus is humility. The way of Jesus is love. The way of Jesus is mission. The way of Jesus is holiness, being set apart. And this is a snapshot of the life of Jesus Christ, where we see Him in action. We see Him serving people by healing them, by, by teaching them truth, and ultimately by giving His life to suffer and die and pay the price that you and I could never pay with all our efforts and all our good works and all our resources and all our money and all our intelligence and all our disciplines. We could never pay the price of perfection, of perfect sacrifice for sins. If we had to pay for our sins, it would mean an eternity apart from God in a place called hell, Jesus described it as. A place of torment. And Jesus came and He took our place. He came to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. And so let this verse sink in. Now here's some titles that, that we're going to see. In the Gospel of Mark, we'll see Jesus as the Son of God. Now, this is a favorite title. And actually, the Gospel book ends uh, this title at the very beginning, very first verse. And then in chapter 15, towards the end of the book, we have this uh, Roman soldier who says, Surely this was the Son of God. Right? And, and so we see Mark helping us get a grasp of Jesus as the Son of God. We see Him uh, described as Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. Jesus, the Son of David. He's described as the Christ or Messiah. Christ, the Son of the Blessed. Christ, the King of Israel. 
the Son of Man, the Holy One of God, Lord of the Sabbath, Lord and then King of the Jews. So here's our big idea this morning as we dig into the text. Namely, that Jesus was and is a real person who lived in history and embodied and proclaimed the good news of God's reign and rescue for the world. Jesus is a, is, it was and is a real person who lived in history. This is not a myth. Okay? This is not just the nice story. This is the epic story, the ultimate story, God's great redemption story. And you know, God has wired us, by the way, as human beings to have this hunger for narrative, this desire for stories. That's why many of us enjoy reading books and watching movies and hearing a good story. Especially with a little humor salted into it. And a little entertainment to amaze us in it. We're, we're wired for story. And it's God's great narrative, God's great redemption story that, that we need to be captivated by. Because there's a lot of other narratives out there. There's a lot of other stories out there that the world and Satan is trying to get your attention with. But it's God's great redemption story that, that we need to be captivated by, that we need to know, and we need to tell. We need to enjoy it. We need to retell it to our children, to our friends, to our co-workers. Jesus was and is a real person. He lived in human history. He, the eternal Son of God, stepped into human history. He became a human being. And He lived and He experienced temptations and struggles. And experienced the pains of this life. And He proclaimed good news and brought the good news of the kingdom of God. Of the rescue of God. He came as the king. The servant king. And he is our king. And so let's begin in chapter 1 of Mark's gospel. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The son of God. Now Mark doesn't do what Matthew and Luke does in giving genealogies. Explaining all the history, he's, he's very concise, and he's straight to the point. Let's start. Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the Son of God. He starts with the Gospel, and he starts with the identity of Jesus Christ, who Jesus is. And the rest of the book is going to unpack this. It, the rest of the book is going to unpack who Jesus is through these statements about his, his character, about his titles of who he is, but also through his actions, through his deeds, through his works that bear witness that he is who he says he is. And he even asked his disciples later on at one point in the gospel, who do you say I am? Okay, who do you say I am? Everybody else, what are they, who, who, do, who are they saying I am? But who do you say I am. And that's a question that we all need to be able to answer, regardless of what National Geographic says about Jesus, right? The History Channel says about Jesus, your friends say about Jesus. It's important for us to know what they're saying and what they think. But who do you say Jesus is? Do you know him accurately and do you know him intimately? And so Mark starts it off with explaining who Jesus is. He's the Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the Greek word gospel 
is eugelion, and it means glad tidings, good or joyful news. David Garland, a theologian, says that gospel refers to the story about Jesus narrated in the text. It comprises Jesus' words, deeds, death, and resurrection as God's direct intervention into history. It challenges an imperial cult propaganda that promotes a message of good tidings and a new age of peace through the Roman emperor. Okay? Now, this, this Greek word was, was this, this wasn't the only time this Greek word was used, eugelion. Okay? It was used uh, in, in the first century to uh, announce, to, to proclaim a victory or um, the reign of an emperor. Right, it's good news. It's uh, it's it's a message to be announced, and so Jesus steps on the scene, and he has good news, and he is the king, and he has good news to announce. Scott McKnight says that in the opening letter, Mark titles this book the Gospel because he is gospeling in this book. What does that mean? That Mark is narrating the saving forgiving story of Jesus. That's what we want to be about here at City Church. Okay, we call that evangelism when we're gospeling, when we're telling the story of Jesus and calling people to respond to that story. Warren Wiersbe says, The gospel is neither a discussion nor a debate, said Dr. Paul S. Rees. It is an announcement. It's an announcement. It's an announcement that you and I should be passionate to communicate to others. We all enjoy good announcements, don't we? Whether it's a baby, a graduation, a marriage, a promotion, a new job. We, we all appreciate a good announcement, do we not? Good news. We enjoy hearing good news and there's so much bad news in the world being spread today. How refreshing it is for us to focus in. On the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 1, it calls him, Mark calls him the Son of God. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ is Messiah, okay? The, the Hebrew word for Christ is Messiah. And this was the long-awaited Messiah, the, the promised one that God in the Old Testament spoke about who would come and bring rescue. He is the suffering serpent in Isaiah who would suffer for the sins of the world. All right? He's the Messiah, the, the king and uh, the son in, in, in Psalm chapter 2 who would come and reign. He's the son of God. Bob Stein, theologian, says the son of God reveals Jesus' unique role in unparalleled relationship with God. It is the favorite title of Mark, identifying Jesus and when Mark was written, it conveyed to the Christian community the idea of both preexistence and deity. Jesus is the Son of God. And so Mark starts off uh, telling us straight up at front who, who Jesus is. In, in verse 2, let's look at John the Baptist here. And then he goes right into John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. 
John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out and were being baptized by him in the, in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's John the Baptist, who the other Gospels tells us uh, is, is Jesus' uh, cousin, or they're related there uh, through um, uh, Mary and Elizabeth. And John had been preparing the way, uh, preaching repentance, calling people to repent. He was a humble man, he was an honest man, and he was a faithful man. And many people respected John the Baptist. Many people were listening to John the Baptist proclaim his message and they would go out into the wilderness. They would travel to hear this guy preach. Okay? And he didn't have an ear-tickling message. Okay? His message didn't, didn't cater to comfort and convenience and it wasn't convenient to get to him to hear the message. But people were going out to hear this guy. This guy was radical. Okay? And, and he was the, the voice in the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord, calling people to repent, calling people to turn from their sins and to be baptized. Now, there were ritual washings in the first century, so that's, that's not, not anything new. But, but, but John the Baptist was calling people, both Jews and Gentiles, to be dunked. To be baptized because they're sinners. And, and he would call them to confess and repent of their sins. Preparing the way for King Jesus to come on the scene. Now, the wilderness is significant because in the wilderness in the Old Testament, that's where God's people met God. It's also where God's people were tested. There was testing that took place in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, uh, during that time of testing, uh, there would be a stripping away of all the other resources and comforts where one would have to look to God and turn to God for help, for strength. And so John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. Uh, he wore some strange clothing, which was similar to the prophets like Elijah, uh, camel hair, he, his diet was locusts and wild honey. This was a radical dude, right? He got the attention of people. He wasn't, I, I don't think he was trying to make a fashion statement necessarily. And I think he lived a humble life and he called people to repent and turn to Jesus. He prepared the way for the Lord. And he later, later realized that Jesus was the one he was preparing the way for. He said, I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John, in his humility, is mentioning there's somebody greater coming. Okay? There's somebody greater than me. Like, every, a lot of people respected John the Baptist as a great prophet. And even Jesus himself said he was the greatest prophet 
born of a woman. So he says that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now this is significant because those who become Christians get to experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit living in their lives. Every person, every Christian gets to experience this. And this was uh, something that we see happening at the, the, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, where the Spirit was, was poured out. But every Christian gets the, the power and the presence and the life of the Holy Spirit living inside of them. The Holy Spirit's the third person of the Trinity. And here in this next couple of verses, we see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism. By the way, this week we had an inauguration, okay, for the for the new president and vice president this week. Did anybody watch that this week? Well, th- this is Jesus's inauguration, okay, an epic inauguration of his ministry and his administration, his kingdom being brought on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 9, it says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and, he was, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came out of the water, immediately, there's, take note of that word. When you see the word immediately, circle that word. You'll see it 41, 42 times uh, in the Gospel of Mark. Immediately, he saw the heavens torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So here we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some theologians uh, uh, point to uh, an allusion back to the book of Genesis. Right here in Mark's Gospel, he seems to be alluding back to Genesis in, in a sense where you got the Spirit brooding over the water, hovering over the waters. Uh, God created everything. And then you got Jesus, the Word. Let there be light. Right? The, the Word of God. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here we get a snapshot of the Trinity once again that others describe as this dance. This dance. And you, and, and you see the Father affirming, the Father and the Spirit affirming the identity of Jesus. Mark has said at the beginning of this, this book, Jesus is the Son of God. So Mark's bearing witness to that. We got John the Baptist as a witness preparing the way for the Lord. Now we got the, the, the Father and the Spirit affirming the identity and the ministry of Jesus Christ. The Spirit descends on him like a dove. He says, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit has existed for all eternity. And there is this mutual love and joy and delight that they have in one another that is described as a dance. I'm going to read uh, briefly here from uh, Tim Keller's book called Jesus the King, Understanding the Life and the Death of the Son of God based on the Gospel of Mark. The first chapter, he uh, titles it The Dance, and he talks about this. He quotes C.S. Lewis, and he says, In the words of my favorite author, C.S. Lewis, In Christianity, God is not a static thing, but a dynamic, pulsating activity. A life, almost a kind of drama. Almost, if you look not 
Made to be irreverent, a kind of dance. Theologian Cornelius Plantinga develops this further, noting that the Bible says the Father, the Son, and the Spirit glorify one another. The persons within God exalt each other, commune with each other, and defer to each other. Each divine person harbors the others at the center of his being. In constant movement of overture and acceptance, each person envelops and encircles the others. God's interior life, therefore, overflows with regard for others. So we have this dance, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Tim Keller goes on uh, to to just uh, talk about how we, too, are to enter into this dance and, and having a relationship with God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we too are to, to, to live in that way where we're, we're loving other people. We're serving other people. We're honoring other people. The Trinity models for us what loving community looks like. The kind of loving community that we're to live in, in our family, in our church, in all our relationships. And so you have this beautiful dance. And if you haven't entered into the dance, into a genuine relationship with Jesus, today's a great time to do that. Instead of sitting there in your chair and waiting for him and everyone else to orbit around you, why don't you get up and orbit around him and and serve others? uh, Look for ways that you can serve others and show the love of Christ like He's done for us. And so we have the baptism of Jesus. And in the baptism of Jesus, we have the identity of Jesus being affirmed by the Father from heaven. This is my beloved Son. There's this pure, perfect, heavenly love that the Father expresses for His Son, Jesus. And He expresses His pleasure, His delight in His Son, Jesus, the perfect, righteous, godly Son. In, in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew expounds, Matthew and Luke both expound on the baptism of Jesus. In, in Matthew's Gospel, he records that Jesus says, when John's like, no, no, you know, I sh- you should be baptizing me. Jesus is like, if this is necessary to, that we might fulfill all righteousness. Alright, so we have Jesus, the righteous Son, obeying the Father, going into the waters of baptism, and He wasn't going into the waters of baptism because He had sins to repent of. He is and was sinless. He lived His life sinlessly, righteously, before God the Father. But He modeled perfect righteousness and perfect obedience for you and I. And this was something that later on, everyone else who would follow Jesus and would identify with Jesus as followers of Jesus, as those who've been rescued by Jesus, would enter into the waters of baptism as a way of saying, I'm identified with Him. I died with Him. I was buried with Christ. My life is hidden with Christ in God. I belong to Him. And then when we become Christians, we get this righteous status before God, this righteous standing before God. We too become sons and daughters of God, children of God. 
And the righteousness of Jesus is uh, uh, imparted to our lives, accounted to our lives. And we too had this place of favor with the Father because of Jesus, the Beloved. Ephesians 1 talks about this, that we were accepted in the Beloved. We've been graced in the Beloved, the, the Son of God, the One who lived perfect, righteous, godly for us. We're accepted in the Beloved. And when we get water baptized, it's, a, it's an outward expression of what's taken place spiritually, internally in our lives. We died. We're new creations. Our old life is gone. We're, we're to walk in this newness of life. And now God sees us with pleasure and love and delight in the righteousness of Jesus is ours. And we can come boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. The Father loves us. He loves us as well. He delights in us as well. When you think of God the Father, saints, you think of His heart towards you, and if you could see a facial expression, what do you think that would be towards you? If, it's, if it doesn't fit with verse 11 here, then you, you might have the wrong uh, view of what the Father feels in His disposition towards you. Because when we're in Christ, He delights in us. And it's love and grace and mercy, acceptance, and, of course, accountability. He holds us accountable. He develops us. He disciplines those He loves as His children. And so, in the, the baptism of Jesus, we have the identity of Jesus being affirmed. And then the very next thing we see in verse 12 is we see the Spirit immediately drove Him out into the wilderness. And He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and angels were ministering to him. So the Spirit drove him out to be tempted in the wilderness. Again, we have the wilderness here. He, he goes out to the wilderness where John the Baptist was preparing the way in the wilderness for the Lord. But he was, he was baptized and then he goes out into the wilderness. The Spirit leads him to be tested or, or uh, tempted uh, in the wilderness. And so this is significant because we have in, in, in Matthew's gospel, he records one of the very first temptations that, that Satan has for Jesus. is he says this after he hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, he says, if you are the son of God, do what? Turn this rock in the bread. OK, prove yourself. Prove yourself if you really are the Son of God. Do this miracle. And of course, he didn't do it. Um, but he was tempted as we are tempted, yet without sin. You see, Jesus did what Adam and Eve failed to do in the garden when they were tempted to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus did what Israel failed to do when they were in the wilderness 40 years, when God brought them out, into, out of Egypt through the Red Sea, which is kind of like a baptism, into the wilderness 
to be tested, to, to be tested so that they might know, and this is what Jesus quoted, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You see, the, the wilderness is not only a place where we meet God and we experience Him. That's where Israel met God and God showed up and He met them in their need, in their struggle, in their testing. He provided bread. He provided food. He provided guidance. He gave them what they need. Jesus went and He, he went there all by Himself. I don't know if you've ever gone camping before by yourself for a day or two, or three, or four. One, one time, I, I went camping by myself for seven days, by myself. And it was challenging. I, I, by the way, I didn't have any food, by the way. I was trying to do what Jesus did. I didn't go 40 days out there by myself. There was a big rainstorm. I thought I was going to get swept away into the water. I was like, Lord, help me! My tent was start, starting to slide down towards the water. But I wanted to follow the path of Jesus. I wanted to, I wanted to be consecrated. I wanted, I wanted to give my life for Jesus. And I attempted to take some steps to, to follow His. Which, by the way, I don't think every person has to do that. In, in that particular way. You don't have to go fast in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. But Jesus did for us what we failed to do. When we've been tempted and tested... In our times of weakness, in our times of struggle, where we have taken the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We've disobeyed what God has made clear that it's forbidden for us to do, to say, to think, to practice. Jesus resisted when he was hungry and he was tempted, when he was tested. And you know what's, what's really cool about the gospel of Jesus Christ? is that though we've flunked with 40s and 30s and red Fs on our test of righteousness, Jesus gets a perfect grade, a 100, and He gives us His grade as our righteousness. He passed the test for you and me, and we, we get His grade so that before the Father, we're made righteous. We're accepted. We're loved. We have access to God, not because we've gotten good grades and we got all the answers right. And we're a good boy and a good girl and a good student. We have access to God to know Him as Father because Jesus, because of His righteousness, His performance, His flawless perfection in getting that A for you and me. So notice, too, that he was in the wilderness with, with wild animals. I think that's interesting. Mark, Mark takes note of that, that he was with wild animals. Um, if you've gone camping by yourself, I, I know when I've gone camping, I, usually I hear wild animals. I hear um, raccoons. One time, raccoons were trying to eat my stuff, my, eat my food. I made the mistake of leaving my food outside the tent. I did bring a slingshot. And I, you know, I was, you know, scaring them away with my slingshot. I've also heard uh, coyotes out, out there. Coyotes or, uh, hopefully not wolves, but you can hear them. You know, coyotes in the background. You know, recently I heard about a guy who got, got killed by a mountain lion not too far from here, like in the last six months. Uh, and so there are wild animals out there, right? And Jesus is out there by himself with the wild animals being tested. Okay, it wasn't a, a comfortable, cozy time. And he endured it for you and I. 
And you might say it was a, a preparation for the ministry that he was about to step into because he was going to have all kinds of tests come his way. He was going to be tested by the religious leaders. He was going to be tested at the garden where there was this struggle, there's there's this battle. And, and one of the things that we see here in this in this section is the, the, the character, the villain, the bad guy. There's a bad guy in the story. There's a hero in the story. A superhero. That's Jesus, the main character. But there's also a villain. There's a bad guy. There's a problem. There's a struggle. There's a conflict in the story. And we've all experienced it. There's a spiritual realm where there's a battle that's raging around us. A struggle that, that, that's happening. And Satan continues to tempt people to this day. Now, take note of this, that, that um, the, the Greek word for testing and temptation are, are, are the same. Right? So that there's, the Greek word that's translated tempted can be used as test as well. We're told in James chapter 1... That God does not tempt us. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt us. So He doesn't entice us to try to get us to do evil. He doesn't try to get us to fail the test. So, so when, and every Christian goes through times of testing and temptation. Every Christian experiences it. And Jesus walked through it as a human being. That's one of the reasons why he became a human being to experience this. He was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now we can come boldly before the throne of grace because of that. But when God brings us through a test, it's not to destroy us. It's to develop us. It's to prove, to hone, to highlight who He's made us to be. It's not to destroy us. When, when we're tempted and we're tested, Satan has an agenda to destroy us, to harm us, to accuse us, to shame us. But that's not God's aim. And that's why in James chapter 1, you can read that this week, James chapter 1, James highlights the reality he says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Right after he talks about trials and temptation, which and they're the same words uh, used in chapter 1, and he describes the anatomy of temptation, how we're drawn away by our own evil desires, and sin gives, um, gives birth to desire, it gives birth to uh, sin, and sin gives birth to death. Um, but he says, do not be deceived, my beloved. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights from whom there's no variation or shadow of turning from. And so one of the things that we need to remember, saints, when we're going through our times of temptation and our times of testing, when you feel stripped of everything that you've trusted in and you're in the wilderness, so to speak, and you can't just go to the refrigerator for some food to get comfortable, you can't just turn the TV on or just pick up your phone or just call a friend, when you're just in a really hard Time, we need to know that God's intentions are good for us. That He's not trying to destroy us. He's not trying to entice us to sin. Satan does that. Okay, God is working on our behalf, working in us. And we need to remember that Jesus has gone before us. That Jesus endured temptation. And because He's endured temptation, He can help us in our temptation. He can help us in our struggles. He was tempted as we are yet without sin. 
let's just look at that real quick here in, in Hebrews chapter 4. Last year we went through the book of Hebrews. And this is one of my favorite verses in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 4, 14 through, through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast the conf- our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, with weaknesses, but was in every, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. And so let us remember in our testing that God is good, that he loves us and that we too are his children. He delights in us. Because when you're going through temptation, when you're going through testing, and life is just really hard, whether it's sickness, health, uh, trials around health, trials around finances, trials around relationships, trials around spiritual depression, discouragement, trials around emotions, trials around whatever. When we're going through it, we're, we're, we're challenged like Jesus was. We're challenged in our identity. If you are the Son of God, if you really are a child of God, you wouldn't struggle with this. Right? The, the, the serpent's lies just whisper at us. Now, note, note this, by the way, that temptation is not sin. It's not sin to be tempted. Okay, That's a part of what it means to be human. Jesus was sinless. And is sinless. But he was tempted. Okay, there was, there was, because he had, he took on a human body, there's temptations to do things that we, we shouldn't do. And so, when we resist that temptation, uh, when we say no to it, when it's presented to us, we're not sinning. We're, we, we were tempted. Okay? But if we give in to the temptation and we yield to it, then, and we, we cross the line. We violate our conscience. There's this, there's this break. There's this shame. There's this guilt. There's this uh, insecurity that occurs in us like Adam and Eve experienced in the beginning. Then we come to God in confession. We've blown it. We've sinned. Because God is faithful. 1 John 1, nine. God is faithful and just to forgive us. Our, if we confess our sins to God, He's faithful and He's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Amen? He's also faithful, not only when we blow it, we don't have to just wait until we blow it to run to God's faithfulness and God's goodness and God's grace, but when we're in the midst of the heat of the temptation, when we're feeling the, 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 the tug of the lure to, to think and say and do things that we know we shouldn't do, 1 Corinthians 10.13 no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful. He's faithful to forgive you when you blow it. But He's faithful who with each temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so Jesus passed the test for us and He can help us going through our test as well. Amen? And so next we see the, the preaching ministry of Jesus in verse 14 and 15. And we're going to get into this, Lord willing, next week. 
Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Okay? Jesus was calling for a change of life. John the Baptist had already been doing that. Jesus was calling for a change of life. The word repent means to change your mind. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. You're going the wrong way. Okay? Repent and believe the gospel. He was calling for change. And this implies that there's something wrong with our thinking. There's something wrong with how we view the world, how we think about life, how we think about God, how we think about ourselves, and how we think about others. We've been marred by sin. We've been marred by, by the fall. Genesis, we live in a post-Genesis 3 world. And Jesus says, change your mind. Change your mind, change your life, and believe the good news of the kingdom. Believe the gospel of the kingdom. The power for the change is right there. What Jesus demands of us, He empowers us to live up to. And the power for that change is in the gospel. For in it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And so as we're journeying through the gospel of Mark, May our eyes be open to see the glory and the beauty of who Jesus is. And may we be changed by Him. Let me close with four things. Four goals, four aims for us as we're journeying through the Gospel of Mark. The first one, as I've mentioned already, is that we get to know Jesus better. That we get to know Him better, accurately and intimately. Okay? We want to know Him accurately. Okay, we want to know who He really is, who He revealed Himself to be. And we want to know Him intimately and relationally. We don't want to just keep our knowledge of Jesus right here in our head and be able to give the answers to others and give the right answers. We want that knowledge to go from here to here where we have this relationship where we're moved by the things that move Jesus' heart. Where we care about the things that Jesus cares about. Because we know Him. We know how He feels about certain things. And how He thinks about certain things. Because He told us in the Gospels. The Bible tells us. Also, we want to cultivate, that we would cultivate an awe and adoration for Jesus, for the life of Jesus. We have what uh, one, one author describes as all amnesia. We tend to forget. God forbid that we should have a familiarity that leads us to take for granted these passages in the life of Jesus. May God capture each of us with a fresh sense of awe and wonder of who Jesus is and what He came to do. And in that awe and in that wonder, may we enjoy Him. And may we exalt Him. As that awe and adoration for Jesus grows within us. We also are making it our aim that our allegiance to Jesus would be strengthened. That as disciples and followers of Jesus, that our commitment to Him, and our allegiance to Him would become greater as a result of spending time in the Gospel of Mark. 
that when we're tempted and tested and when these temptations that the world presents us, that Satan presents us, when they come our way, that our allegiance to Jesus would be strong because we're, we're rooted and grounded in Him and, and in His grace for our lives. And then lastly, that we would be transformed by the gospel of Jesus, that we would look and live like Jesus. As we're in this gospel, as we're taking it in, as we're taking notes, as we're marking our Bibles, as we're memorizing verses, as we're internalizing these truths about who Jesus is and what He did and how He lived and what He calls us to as His followers, like deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him, to lose our lives. That, that we would be changed to look like Him. This is our target. This is our goal. This is God's goal for us. Romans 8.29, that we would be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so let's aim for that together this year, saints, as we journey through the Gospel of Mark. Let's prayerfully make this our aim and allow Jesus to shape us into who He's called us to be as we get to know Him, as we spend time with Him. If you would bow in prayer with me. Lord, these are wonderful words that you have entrusted to us. We thank you for sending Jesus, the ultimate king, the servant king, who suffered and died for us. Would you deliver us from a familiarity that would lead us to take for granted these things? And would you refresh in us an appreciation and awe and adoration for the life of Jesus, for the rescue of Jesus? Would you stir in us, God, a passion, a passion to retell the story, to gospelize? to share the news everywhere we go. May our hearts be captivated and may they overflow talking about Jesus, exalting Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would change us as we spend time in your word. That our attitudes and actions, ways of thinking, God would would be shaped by the life of Jesus, by the death of Jesus, by the resurrection of Jesus. Make us more bold. Make us more loving. Make us more patient and faithful. That we might live well in this brief time that we have here. Let your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.